Shalom, everybody. I would like to teach you a Hebrew word this morning. It simply means to welcome. Okay? Can you say with me, Baruch Haba? Baruch Haba. Baruch Haba. We'll come back to that later. It's very interesting. Wonderful. Thank you, Pastor Chad and the whole uh, committee in the church uh, for having us, Chosen People Ministries, and me and my family uh, giving us a warm welcome to uh, lead the Passover Seder this morning. Wow, good. So today my goal is going to be to connect the Passover that transpired in Egypt on that night more than 3,500 years ago when God delivered the people of Israel from slavery and from bondage. And connect that to the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples in the upper room. And you'll see so many traditions involved in that which actually came after Jesus kept the Passover with his disciples. But they are so meaningful and every tradition points us to Jesus. That's why we are using the traditional Passover as a tool to bring the gospel both to the Jewish people as well as to the non-Jewish people. And it's powerful And I would like you to pay attention, open your hearts, and let God speak to you uh, this morning. Now, when the, the family, this is a family celebration, by the way. So all over the world, in a week's time or less than a week's time, Jewish people in their homes will be celebrating this Passover. And they will be using a Passover Haggadah. Haggadah is a Hebrew word which means to tell. So the point is that the father has to remember, the family has to remember the whole event of Passover and he must tell the children of how how much God loves them and how he has redeemed them through a powerful hand, through his mighty and outstretched arm. And this goes on year after year, year after year. And the Jewish children grow up learning this about how much God loves them and how God is powerful and how he has redeemed them. Sadly, many Jewish people just do it as a tradition, but not applying it to their lives. But today, my goal is that we will not only learn something here, but we will apply it in our own lives. Now, when we do a Passover Seder like this, what we call it as, it as is the Passover Seder. The word Seder simply means an order. So, the things that are here have not been randomly placed but they have an order. And the order is actually the order of how God brings us out of this world, redeems us, takes the judgment upon himself, redeems us. And one day he would like to gather all of us to live with him forever and ever. So what happens when the Passover begins? Just before uh, the Passover Eve, a few days before that, the father of the house goes about the house to see if there is any leaven in the house. The mother cleans up the house, but the father goes with a uh, candle that is kosher, which means clean in Jewish tradition, which is a bees wax candle. And he goes on to a place where the wife keeps some part of uh, leaven on the table somewhere in the kitchen, and he takes it on the wooden spoon and takes it out of his house or into the synagogue yard where everybody brings their uh, leaven and burns it. That is a commandment given to to the people of Israel that they had to cleanse the house of all leaven. 
coming to the New Testament, Jesus speaks about leaven a couple of times, and Paul also speaks about leaven a couple of times. Jesus, he says, watch out and be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, meaning that be careful about what you learn, the doctrines that you learn about life. Okay, so that is a form of leaven, so leaven has to be removed. And then he also speaks in Matthew chapter 13, verses 33, saying that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leaven. Paul also speaks about leaven, speaking to the church in Corinth, Corinthian church, saying that the church has to, the members of the church have to cleanse their lives of all leaven. And leaven symbolized there as malice and wickedness and all kinds of sin. So Jesus uses it in a positive way and negative, and Paul uses it as a, in a positive way. So leaven has to be uh, cleansed out. Has to be, we have to be clean of all that kind of leaven because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That's what Paul says in First uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6. Why do we come to God and ask him to cleanse us? Because Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed. So Paul uses this Passover analogy to teach a principle to the Corinthian church. So that's a beautiful fulfillment, actually. Now, the mother of the house then comes on the Passover Eve, and she lights two candles. And like to, I would like to light it, and then we'll say a blessing that is associated with it. The blessing goes like this. Barukata Adonai Elohenu Melekaulam Asher Kitshanu Bemitswata Vitsivanu Lehadlik Ner Shalyam To. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with thy commandments and commanded us to kindle the festival lights. Now, nowhere God commanded them to kindle the festival lights, but he did command them to kindle the menorah, the lampstand in the temple. So this is a tradition. So why, what's the tradition about? The mother of the house, after she lights up the candle, she bows and she prays and she invites the presence of God into the home. Okay. Why is this candle lights? Because it represents, symbolizes the Shekinah presence of God, the dwelling presence of God in the most holy place in the temple when the temple stood in Jerusalem. Now, that is a, a reminder for them that the temple stood, God's presence was with them, God's presence was in the tabernacle in the form of fire, and now they want the presence of God in their homes. And it is appropriate that the mother of the house light up the candle because it is through a woman that the light of the world, Jesus, Yeshua, came into this world. That is for us to understand. Now you'll see four cups, cups of grape juice on the table. Each cup uh, is distinct from another. And the whole Passover actually depends on these four cups in order for that to go from one step to another. The first cup is called the cup of sanctification. The second cup is called the cup of judgments. Now remember, I'm going to ask you some questions after that. 
Okay. The first cup is cup of sanctification. The second is the cup of plagues or cup of judgment. The third is the cup of redemption. And the fourth is the cup of praise. And all these names that were given to these cups actually are based on Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. The promises that God gives to the people of Israel just prior to the Passover night uh, in Egypt. The verse goes, uh, goes like this. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. End of the story. And then we shall live happily ever after. Yeah, that's what Jesus, God is saying. I'll take you as my own people and I'll be your God. And what else we are looking for in our life? That's the goal of our life. So we'll say a blessing and I'll ring this. Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melekaolam Bore Prihagafen. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the wine. It tastes nice, by the way. <laughs> because you're all not having, so I'll let you um, have something. Right. Now, the second element that we are going to come in this Passover Seder is the parsley. This symbolizes the hyssop on, uh, which God commanded the people of Israel to take. Now, why did they have to take? Hyssop was something that was freely available everywhere where the people of Israel lived. Now, remember, when the people of Israel were in the land of slavery, God promised many years ago to Abraham, the father of Israel, saying that he's going to deliver them with a mighty arm. He's going to judge that nation. So God chooses a person named Moses, and he sends him to Pharaoh to ask, to tell him, to, or to command him that the people of Israel... Go. Or God said, let my people go. But we know Pharaoh was not an easy person to deal with. And he would not. So God had to send judgment after judgment, plague after plague, to show him how powerful and sovereign this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is. And at the, the, uh, the second last judgment was the uh, judgment of darkness. And just before... The last judgment, which was the judgment of death. Okay, So if Pharaoh did not obey God, death would come into his house. That was it. Okay, So at that time, God wanted the people of Israel also to do something in order to be delivered from the land of Egypt. Sometimes I wonder why just God just didn't judge the Egyptians and let the people of Israel go. Why did he have to command them to do the Passover lamb? Because God also needed a response from his own people. It's not that he does everything, but he needs a response from them. So what was the response? The people of Israel had to take a year-old lamb into their homes. And the father of the house had to inspect the lamb to see if there's any defect in the lamb. Now, when the lamb is uh, without defect, he would declare, the lamb is blameless. And then... He would slay the lamb, take the blood of the lamb on a bowl, and take the hyssop 
which is partially represents, and apply the blood on the doorposts and on the lintels of the house. You see? So the response of Israel was to slay the lamb, take the blood, and apply. That's the key word here. Apply the blood of the lamb on their houses. Or, if they didn't do that, when God was going to judge the people of Egypt by death, the death of the firstborn in every home, then the people of Israel would also die if they did not apply. So the key here is that we, one must apply the blood of Jesus. Not to just have a knowledge of Jesus, but to apply the blood so that we may be saved from the judgment of death. And then, remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem, there were hundreds and thousands of lambs also being brought into Jerusalem. In Mark 21 and Mark 11, Jesus drove into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. What was he really doing at that day, which we call as Palm Sunday? He was actually going into Jerusalem as, the, as God's Passover lamb to die in Jerusalem, just like every other lamb was being brought into Jerusalem from Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is a, a beautiful place because it's a, it's a place where the Passover lambs were being specially raised in order to be sacrificed in Jerusalem. So Jesus, born in Bethlehem, comes into Jerusalem as God's Passover lamb. And he was inspected by Jewish authorities, by Satan himself, by Roman authorities, in the end, by Pilate. And what did Pilate say about this lamb? I find nothing wrong in him. What did the father say in the land of Egypt? This lamb is perfect. Now, when, when Pilate said this, what, he was, what was he declaring? He was declaring that this lamb is perfect to be sacrificed for the sins of Israel and for the sins of the whole world. He didn't know that what, what he was doing, but God superintended all this thing. And it's interesting. Now, they take the, pass, uh, the parsley and they dip it in salt water. What does salt water, uh, uh, what does this represent? It represents the tears of the people of Israel in the land of Egypt. When they went through that bitterness and the bondage and slavery, they were in tears. And it also represents the Red Sea, which was salty sea, through which God brought them out on dry ground. And they have it. Again, parsley is good. <laughs> now, we come to a very interesting place today. Rather on the Seder. This is called the matzah bag. Yeah? It's a special bag to keep the matzahs in. It's special in the sense it has three compartments or three pockets in which you know, one matzah bread is put. Now, this is called unity. In the tradition. But this is also called Echad in Hebrew, which means one but many. The tradition says that it, it represents Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because three pockets. But it doesn't make sense because of what we are going to do in a few seconds. Now, what the father does traditionally is he takes the middle bread, okay, he removes the middle bread, not the first, not the third. 
and he breaks it into two. Okay. One half of the bread he keeps back in the bag and the other half what he does is he takes a white cloth and wraps it in the white cloth. Just observe what I'm doing. He wraps it. And the father then hides it. Hides it. That's it. And at the conclusion of the Passover, that bread will come back. Now that bread is actually called afikomen. Meaning, we came. We came. Now, I want you to look at this bread before we go further. It's very interesting. This is called the matzah. Okay? Matzah is a bread that was traditionally done by the rabbis okay, to, be, to, to look like this. And we call it a bread, though it doesn't look like a bread. It looks like a cracker because there's no leaven in it. Remember? No leaven. The Jewish people had to eat only this bread for seven days without leaven. Now, look at this bread against the candle, if you are able to. Can you see some holes? Yeah, like piercings. Can you look at the stripes on the bread? They are. At the end, you can just uh, come up here and look. And then, after it's uh, baked or roasted and brought out, you see some marks that looks like bruises on the body. The Jewish people have been doing this not knowing that this actually fulfills what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Yeah. His body was pierced, striped, and bruised through which we are healed, we are forgiven, and we have peace with God. This is a wonderful representation of the body of Jesus. We'll come back to that later again. Now the father tells the story of the Passover to the children, which I just shared with you. He says how, how God uh, powerfully delivered uh, uh, the Jewish people from the land of slavery, what they went through in that land, and how they walked through the dry land. And the uh, children ask questions to him. They sing a song. And they ask questions to him. They say, Abba, Father, why is this night different from all other nights? And the father tells him why this night is different from all other nights. And the children say, why on all other nights we eat vegetables and all kinds of herbs, but on this night we are only eating herbs? On all other nights we are sitting straight on our dining tables and we are eating, but on this night why do we have a pillow on a chair and we recline and eat? And the father tells them that we were slaves. Our forefathers were slaves in a strange land. We, we suffered and we were uh, tortured and harassed and oppressed. But God delivered out, us out through the Passover lamb. And after which we became free men and women. Therefore, in order to remember the freedom we have in God, we recline and eat. So traditionally... Uh, slaves, culturally slaves could not sit and eat or rather recline and eat that was only for free men and women 
So the father explains them the story. And the children get to hear this and get to sing a song. Okay, asking these questions. So it's actually a very interactive, engaging uh, festival for the family. Now we come to the second cup of the uh, wine. Remember what is the name of this cup? Judgment. Very good. Plagues. Yeah. So now the Jewish people believe that that the grape juice represents joy or the wine represents joy. Therefore, when they drink this cup, uh, all the cups rather, they just don't fill them half, but they fill them to the brim so that it overflows. But this cup is unique in the sense they don't want to drink it fully because this represents the judgments that God brought upon the Egyptians. Now, God instructs that we should not be joyful or not rejoice when God judges our enemies. Rather, we should humble ourselves. Now, what they do is, in order to humble themselves, they reduce the quantity of the juice. How? They name each plague and they take the little finger and remove a drop of grape juice and put it on the plate. Now, I'm going to do that and I'm going to name the plagues and I want you to say the name of the plagues with me. Okay? Blood. Frogs. Gnats. Flies, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and the death of the firstborn. Usually people lick it like this. And I say, come on, you should not lick it because you just licked one of the plagues. (laughs) And they go, really? I said, no, that's a joke. I can pray for you in the end, kind of. (laughs) Okay. Now, the Jewish people, in the traditional Passover, they sing another song called Dayenu, a beautiful song, but because of time I won't sing this. And Dayenu means it would have been enough. So what they sing is, had God done nothing but save us from the land of Egypt, for that alone we would have been satisfied. Had God given us nothing more than the Torah, the scriptures, for that alone we would have been satisfied. But we, the believers in Yeshua, Jesus, the Passover lamb who gives us life from death, we can say this. Had God given us nothing more than Jesus, for that alone we would have been satisfied. Yet, he continues to give us more and more. Because he promised to give us life in abundance. Now I'll say this the blessing and we'll have it. Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Priha Gafen. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, the creator of the fruit of the wine. Now, another interesting element on our table, the Passover Seder table, is the lamb's shank bone. Now, it's interesting that it is named Zeroah in Hebrew. Zeroah means arm. In Isaiah 53 verse 1, the prophet says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And to whom has the Zeroah of the Lord, arm of the Lord? It's a metaphor for God's strength and power. But wherever you see in the Hebrew scriptures, especially like we saw in Exodus chapter 6 and 7, 
God says, I'm going to redeem you with a mighty and outstretched arm. Zeroah. It's very interesting that they named it Zeroah. Because this actually represents the Passover lamb that was slain in the night of the Passover in Egypt. That is why this is here. But then God says, I'm going to deliver you through that lamb, through that arm of that lamb, through that Zeroah. That is the way I'm going to deliver you. Meaning that this actually represents God's arm, the Passover lamb. And who is God's arm or God's strength or God's man? Jesus. So it's a way of telling the Jewish people, hey, you know what? This represents Jesus. He died for us as the Passover lamb. And if you put your faith in him, you will also pass over from death to life, just like the people of Israel passed over from death to life. It's a beautiful reminder of uh, the Passover lamb. Now we come to a place where we will wash our hands. This is a tradition to wash their hands. Well, if we, there's a biblical premise to it, actually. God tells Aaron and his descendants that when they come, before they come to the temple, they have to wash their hands. Now, Jesus, in the upper room, when he kept the Passover with his disciples, he actually went a step further. What did he do? He washed the feet of the disciples. He's the master of the ceremony. He's the one who hosted the disciples. But he becomes the servant of the ceremony. Because every ceremony has a master and a servant traditionally. To host and to clean up. So Jesus becomes that very person. The king of kings and the lord of lords. God himself becomes the servant of the house. But also this washing of the disciples feet on that night when this part comes, actually gives us a a deeper meaning. Remember when Jesus was handed over to the Romans, you know, because of Judas' betrayal, Judas betrayed Jesus to the Romans, Peter denied him. What about the other disciples? Everyone was scattered that night for fear of death. They abandoned Jesus. Now Jesus, knowing that, that everyone would abandon, betray, One of them would betray and another one would deny. What did he do? He washed their feet. It means forgiveness. God has forgiven us. Yet, we have to come to him through Jesus. Through Jesus, we are forgiven. And there is no other way. You see? Meaning, once you are in Jesus, when we fall, when we sin... His forgiveness is always available for us to be restored. Now Judas was not restored because he did not repent. But Peter, he was restored. All the disciples were restored back to Jesus. So that is a sign that God really loves us and he forgives us. Now, now we come to another part where we, have the, we eat the bitter herbs. Now, does anybody know what this is? No, sorry, not this. Does anybody know what this is? Yeah, maror, bitter herb. This is horseradish. It looks red because I think we have added some beet. 
horse radish okay and uh, some places the horse radish had been merciful to me in some places no really brought tears to me and that's the whole point of eating bitter herbs what do, what does this represent this represents the bitterness of slavery in the land of egypt how it brought tears to the uh, jewish people so even for us sin and bondage to sin being a slave to sin brings bitterness and tears in life in remember when jesus took a piece of bread and he dipped it in this um in the bitter herbs remember who else also dipped his hand in that judas probably he was saying to judas hey judas this bitter herbs is just like your sin it's bitter in you you're bitter in heart and this bitterness is going to lead you to death tears and death and what happened to judas he cried and he died because he would not come to jesus probably you know you could you could feel bad about your sins but doesn't make anything it doesn't mean anything unless you come to jesus or that tears will lead us to death so bitterness is uh, remembers us that okay barukata anai elohenu melakhalam asher kichanu bemitswata vitsiwanu alhakilat maror blessed art thou o lord our god king of the universe who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us concerning the eating of the bitter herbs amen I don't know how many of you had bitter uh, horseradish just like that I and mean, this is good but <laughs> you know what when you eat it it's like you feel like ha oh, it's nice you got to, you just have to wait for a few seconds <laughs> and then it kicks in and then you're like oh my god and tears come out okay now sin is like that when you sin you won't even know the harms of it you enjoy but wait for a while and when it kicks in it brings you tears bitterness and if we do not come to the passover lamb jesus for the forgiveness of our sins to be washed by his blood and to apply his blood on our on the doorposts of our hearts you know what it will eventually lead us to death beautiful right i mean the whole passover though it's traditional it just leads us to beautiful Uh, truths in the new testament redemptive truths not just simple truths now there's another sweet mixture of apple cinnamon walnuts raisin and grape juice yes because you're not eating i will not tell you should not eat if you have any nut allergies yeah okay but uh, yeah those of you who have allergies should not eat this but jesus took i mean in, in the tradition i don't i don't know if jesus took this but in the tradition what they believe this to be is uh the model the model that i'm sorry for that the model that uh jewish people used to build the bricks to do the pyramid pyramids i mean they did a wonderful job right because you can go to egypt and see the pyramids even today and they were built by the people of israel quality work now this so why does Uh, the motto which points to slavery and laborious work and hard backbreaking job 
of making bricks, what does it have to do with the sweet mixture? Bitter roots, okay, we can understand. But why this sweet mixture? Because even in the midst of all slavery and torture and harassment and oppression, they had God's promises that gave them sweetness, knowing that one day God will come to deliver them. Even for us, when we go through trials and troubles, you know, tears, suffering, remember God's promises will bring hope into our lives. And that's why they eat, have this wonderful mixture. Now, then we have the uh, roasted egg called beitsa in Hebrew. Now, when you really, really, really roast it on the pan, and so much that the water evaporates completely, it becomes cracked and as if it is burnt. So just to symbolize that, I just burnt this. Another symbolism, no. <laughs> so, what does this represent? This represents the daily sacrifices that took place in Jerusalem. Now, since the temple in Jerusalem doesn't stand anymore, it's a sad reminder that they cannot give their, offer their uh, sacrifices to God anymore in Jerusalem. Now, it's also a sad reminder of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. When the Romans came and destroyed the second temple in 70 AD, they burnt it and they destroyed it to the ground. For the last 2,000 years, they don't have a temple. So this is a sad reminder of that temple. Now, I would like to uh, pause here. And it is a tradition to pause here. You know why? Because at this time, the families break for dinner, the Passover meal. And there's a lamb, usually a lamb uh, meat, and so many other Eastern European uh, dishes. Okay, so they go and take part in the meal. Now, I would like to take this break, and I would like to share about the work of our ministry. And then uh, we will go forward. Now, if any of you have this uh, brochure in your hands, would you like to pick it up? It's like we are having a meal right now, okay? Okay, now... When you look at this picture over here, okay, and uh, there's a small bio about us, yeah, you may be uh, wondering, looking at the picture, and I know what you're thinking about, and you're right, I look much better in person, (laughs) yep, so there's a small bio about us, and if you open it, you'll see how we began, the mission and purpose. Our ministry is 130 years old. And God has used our ministry tremendously, immensely over the years to bring the gospel to the Jewish people. And many messianic congregations, Jewish congregations have been established across the United States when Jewish people put their faith in Jesus. And we are spread in 21 countries. My wife and I, we lead the work in India. We are missionaries in America, but also directors in India, as well as we, have, we are located in, in over 20 locations in the United States, especially in those places in America in the world where Jewish people live. Like where we live in India, 
a, 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 small, a small state called Goa, you know, we have 50,000 young Jewish people coming to us every year. And God has helped us to start a coffee place in order to host them for Friday Shabbat dinners. And we share the gospel with them. Our ministry goes on from November to February every year when Israelis come. And hundreds of Israelis have gone through a cafe. And we have stopped keeping number count because we couldn't. And the Lord enabled us to bring the gospel to them. Now, we would like you to be a partner with us, to pray for us. There's a, uh, a, a page that has lines on it with name, address, phone number, and email. I would like you all to become our prayer partners. Yeah, please fill your name, state, zip, congregation, email address. And there's a place where it says, please send me the newsletter so I can pray for you. And I'll tell you also why this is important at the end of our meeting today. Why it's important to bring the gospel to the Jewish people and how God will bless us. God has blessed me immensely, me and my family and our work. We were from nowhere and the Lord has brought us here and using us. And again, if you, as Pastor Chad said, if you want to give, you can make checks or even through credit card. Or even if you scan the QR code, which is on your, uh, the bottom of this page, under a family picture, you can actually do it even online. And when the love offering, uh, the tray goes, you can put that back into this uh, in the tray. And we would love to be in touch. And in lieu of your commitment to pray for us, to, by signing up on this, we want to bless you with a free book called Isaiah 53. A powerful book. Isaiah 53. This chapter can change your life. And we are using that book to reach out to hundreds and thousands of Jewish people in America, but also abroad. And we would like to send that book. We give our word to you. I will send that book to you once you sign up with your clear address, email, and phone number. That will be a blessing to you. Usually we sell those books, but otherwise we want to be a blessing to you. Praise God. So we will come back from our um, meal, okay? And we will continue for a few more minutes and then we'll break for communion. Now, what happens is the father now sends the children to go in and search this bread called afikomen. Now, when the children come, one of the child would obviously get it, and he would say, Abba, I got this, and he would, the father would redeem this bread with a few dollars or some candy or chocolate, uh, and he would give it to the child. So, now, <clears throat> this is very important for us as believers. We just had supper, and now we come to the bread. Now, Jesus mentions about this bread in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. This is the bread that we, you have, we have together as the church of God, which we call as communion. This is the bread. We didn't take the first bread. We didn't, didn't, didn't take the second bread. We took the middle bread, broke it. Now, what did Jesus say? And when he had given some, taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it. We, we did that. 
right? We broke it, okay? Of course, he's going to break it into more smaller pieces for the disciples. But what did we do? We broke it. We wrapped it in the white cloth. What does that sim- uh, symbolize? Burial. He died. We broke it. He broke, uh, broken it and it died. And he was buried, wrapped in the burial cloths. And he was hidden for three nights and three days. And then, traditionally, what happens? The father brings this bread back. At this time, you know, I think some, some tradition like this was there when Jesus celebrated Passover. And then he says to the disciples, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You have been remembering matzah bread and connecting it to the Passover in Egypt. But I tell you, all this while, this bread has been speaking about me. Right? That's why he says, do this in remembrance of me. You may remember about the Passover in Egypt, but this actually, the lamb in Passover uh, in Egypt was me. Now, there's a grammar in Hebrew, I don't have time, but to say that when God told the people of Israel to kill the lamb, he did not say, all families kill your lambs. He said, the whole assembly of Israel should, should kill it. Meaning one lamb. Right? But he said, all families should have one. Right? Again, that's another. So, meaning that, that one lamb actually pointed to the one lamb of God, Jesus, the Messiah. So, Jesus' body came from down, but also he's the bread, the bread from down, from the earth, because he was buried, but he's also the bread from heaven. He's the bread of life. I will say blessing and we will take this bread. Uh, No, we will not say the blessing. Well, I'll say the blessing, but I'll reserve eating the bread for later time. Barukata Adonai Elohenu Melakhaulam Hamutsilakhem Minharetz. Amen. Blessed that thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Beautiful prayer. But I'm going to reserve this for a few minutes. Now we come to the third cup. Anybody remembers the third cup? Uh, exactly. Good. Redemption. Okay. Now, Jesus, in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, Luke says, in the same way, After the supper, he took the cup. You see, we just had supper, right? I shared about our work, about our ministry. And then we came back from supper. Then we got the afikomen, broke the bread. And disciples said, then he takes the cup after the supper. Meaning that in the tradition, there may have been a cup before the supper. So, which is the cup after supper? Cup of redemption. And what did Jesus say? He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. New covenant. When the disciples heard the new, uh, word new covenant, a light bulb went off. Why? Because Jeremiah 31, 31, God said the very words. He said, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, where I will place my law into their hearts. No more like the law which was outside, which was broken, which they broke. The Mosaic law, they broke. But this law, I'll put it in their hearts. And I will cause them to walk in my ways. What happens when you believe in Jesus? You're forgiven of your sins. 
Okay? You repent, you, 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 you acknowledge your sin, God forgives you through the blood of Jesus, He covers you by the blood of the Lamb, then what happens? The moment you receive Jesus in your life, your life begins to change, transform. How does you do that? How does that happen? It cannot happen by reading a set of rules and living by it. It will only happen when the law of God, when the Spirit of God, the law of the Spirit of God comes into your heart and He changes you from the inside out. No more from the outside in. That's the power in the blood of Jesus. And the blessing goes like this. Barukata Adonai Elohenu Melakalam Bore Prihagafen. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, the creator of the fruit of the wine. Amen.